Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Special election night coverage on KSL News Radio. And here we are as primary night nears its end. Utahns drove their ballots to drop off locations all over the state. They mailed them in. And at 10 o'clock, we finally hear some numbers from the county clerks around the state, but not before 10 o'clock and not after 10 o'clock. Because once those numbers are announced, everybody goes to bed and the counting slowly continues. Good evening. I'm Jeff Kaplan, joined by the legendary Doug Wright and Boyd Matheson, the host of Inside Sources here on KSL, the Deseret News opinion editor. And gentlemen, your impressions of this strange, strange evening. It has been unique. It truly has. <laughs> I've never heard this term so often from, you know, rank-and-file voters, people in the media, candidates. I've never seen anything like this. And John Huntsman, when we interviewed him right at the top of the show, said it really hasn't even been a campaign. And in the traditional sense, he certainly is right. But what does this bode for the future? The other thing, too, Boyd, you brought up. You know, normally, you know, we we had some dribbling out. We had exit polls. We started to get numbers right after 8 o'clock. That's when the quote-unquote dump was. And one of the big debates, along with when is the pizza going to come and so on, was I wonder how long we're going to be here tonight. Well, (laughs) after about 10.15... Ain't nothing going to happen. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, you know, having been uh, part of some of those nights, uh, I've been part of nights where it was called at uh, 9.03. <laughs> yeah. The you know, races were called. And I've been in those that, uh, you know, drag on for, for days and days. Oh, going on. Bush yeah. Gore. Well, that's my one? favorite. <laughs> NBC calls the race and they go, whoops, wait. two over. Oh, wait, Mulligan. there's more. Yeah. <laughs> no. Stay tuned. <laughs> Uh, and those are such emotional roller coasters, and you do have to hand it to all of these candidates. Uh, you know, they they put themselves in the arena. They're open to all the criticism and the speculation, and and often in these campaigns, you know, the the hardest conversations are conversations you have with people who are very close to you, uh, who have very strong opinions about what your campaign is doing or not doing, or how they're doing it, or when they're doing it. Uh, there there is an emotional toll on any candidate. Uh, and I, I admire all those who get in the ring. It is never an easy thing to do. It's a tough decision. It's a family decision, a community decision. And I think we, we do need to applaud everyone, uh, regardless of party affiliation, for, for getting in the game. Because we have to, to come back and remember that when we, when we look at these races, whether it's a primary race or a general in November, uh, it's really not about Election Day. It's actually about the day after. Um, a lot of people talk about the first Tuesday in November. Uh, I have always focused and believed in the first Wednesday of November 
when everybody gets up and goes yeah. to work and takes care of their family and tries to grow their business and make a difference for their neighbor. Uh, and that's especially here in the state of Utah. We have a great tradition of that. And so my my hat's off as we wait these last 27 minutes uh, for some of these results to come in is to all of these candidates and to their campaigns. They, they put in the blood, sweat and tears, uh, not for Election Day, but for what they hope to be able to do the day after. And I think that matters. You know, this I've is jarring. Some- for me, yeah. I've lived here for 10 years, and Gary Herbert has been my only governor. Yeah. yeah. I don't End know what era. life would be like <laughs> without you know, Gary heard, Herbert as governor. I've heard some <laughs> gut-wrenching stories, you know, of the day after that Wednesday. And uh, the, the one that I'll, I'll always remember, and he was chief of staff for uh, uh, Levitt when he was back at uh, Health and Human Services and so on, and that was Rich McKeon, when he ran for Salt Lake uh, City mayor. He told me once, and I'll never forget this, what it was like to walk in and kind of have to clean up after the campaign party and nobody's there. Yeah. You know, it's it's over. And that that can be a tough day, and there's only one winner. And right. a lot of people who gave their heart and soul to, to a campaign. Well, Boyd taught us you don't say the L word on election <laughs> night. So I will say there will be three non-winners in Utah's 4th fourth congressional district and covering that race for us KSL News Radio's Dan Bomas is joining us live. Hi Dan. Uh good evening and uh, even the winner could wind up with uh, 30% of the vote or even less in the 4th Congressional District, as you've been discussing. Uh, poll in utahpolicy.com last month showed Burgess Owens in the lead, followed by Jay McFarland, Kim Coleman, and Trent Christensen. But that poll had an eight-point margin of error, so it's really pretty difficult to say whether that reflects the current situation. All four candidates joined the KSL News Radio team this evening with Burgess Owens saying he's learned a lot in this campaign after seven years of living in Utah. Says the 4th District will be a national battleground with its history of changing hands between Democrats and Republicans. Democrats must have it to keep the chaos. We must have it to get our country and culture back. I just feel blessed that our country, literally the linchpin of our nation, the way we go right now, getting the House back, will be, uh, Utah will be a big piece of that. Now, Jay McFarland talked about the gridlock in Washington, D.C., with members of Congress who don't talk and sometimes won't even look at each other. Unless we choose a more reasonable brand of person who can work with both sides, regardless of who's in power, and actually present ideas that are viable and move the needle forward, then basically representation is done and Congress is done. Trent Christensen cited his own background in private business as preparation for working across the aisle and getting things done. What this really boils down to is effectiveness. Who can go back to Congress and take a business background, a private sector background, and be effective? Listen, this environment's going to last. It's going to last 12 12 months, 18 months, two years. We're going to have to live differently, work differently, and we're going to need someone who can govern differently, who can adapt, who can be smart, who can work with the other side, but hold true to their principles. And now State Representative Kim Coleman was uh, quite clearly thinking about the Wednesday after the uh, primary election day, hoping that her campaign staff, that uh, volunteers she's put together, will still be working on a general election campaign, uh, ready to challenge the incumbent Democrat, Ben McAdams. I've lived here. I've worked here. I've started a a business here, raised my family here in CD4. So uh, our grassroots army has just been amazing. And really, that's just what it's going to take to go all the way in November. 
Uh, the organization that we've been able to build throughout the district is just phenomenal. I, I'm so pleased. I'm so humbled at the support. And we should know shortly whether one of these candidates is going to get a surge of support in the early returns, or if it's tight, we might not know the results for several days. Dan, over the course of this campaign, each candidate has made their case, which they did eloquently here, but it's never gone to the negativity in this race. Everybody kept it to the upside, so it seems uh, at face value. Is that what you're seeing? Uh, Well, yes. And again, uh, some of the candidates didn't really have a whole lot of money to spend on TV ads. Um, uh, Burgess Owens has bought some, and we've seen some from Kim Coleman. Uh, Not the TV ads ads are the be-all and end-all. You can do a lot with social media as well. But uh, yeah, this group of people has avoided beating up on each other. Yeah, Um, I I think that's a a really interesting thing, Dan. I actually uh, moderated one of the debates for the 4th Congressional District, and it was refreshing. Uh, it was refreshing in that they could differentiate themselves without having to attack the other person. So it, it really got to what I think is the, the key and where we have to move our politics is we, we know what you're against. We know you're against your opponents, whether it's a primary or in a general election. Uh, but tell us what you're for. And, and I thought each of these candidates did a nice job of uniquely pointing out their strengths, their unique value proposition that they're bringing to the voters. So I'm just going to be fascinated to see what the response is from the voters and what we find out uh, here in 22 minutes. Well, of course, uh, with uh, the general election coming up and the huge amounts of money that are coming in, there's probably going to be a lot of negativity thrown around and some that's completely out of the control of the candidates. Well, that's a real factor, stuff that flows in, the packs, the money, and so on. And, Boyd, you and I were in the same editorial board when uh, we were discussing things with, uh, at that time, the 4th District uh, Congressman. <laughs> and I can remember when, uh, when he said, uh, he said, you know, I was talking with my wife, and what's the worst thing that can happen is you win. <laughs> and <laughs> <Right>. sometimes, <laughs> sometimes that's, that's the, the toughest road at all, Ben McAdams, and that wasn't what I was expecting to be the punchline of that. Well, but it it was humorous, and and there's some truth to that too. For Ben McAdams, basically, he started running for re-election the morning after the last election because having squeaked by in that race, uh, it, it was always going to be a challenge come the following November. Yeah, yeah, no question. That's- that's a, that's a tough one, and it goes back to the very genesis of uh, the 4th Congressional District. It, it was a very tight race. You know, I, we think back to Jim Matheson. He just barely won that seat. I've often wondered if that was partially the decision not to choose to run again. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Mia Love, you look at the very close races, especially the first one with, uh, with Doug Owens, and then this last race was uh, was very close as well. So that that's... That, as I mentioned a little earlier, we used to talk about the 2nd Congressional District. Now we talk about the 4th Congressional District. Uh, Was it specifically created for the purpose of giving us all drama? Yeah, I think. (laughs) I think they just went, yeah, let's just stir the pot a little bit. And and somehow they had to figure out a way to have a smaller Congressional District when you have both Salt Lake City and St. George in the 2nd Congressional District. Right. Yeah. And that's and which is also an interesting thing in terms of uh, how much ground you have to cover as a candidate. Uh, Doug mentioned the fact that uh, these members of the House on the federal level are in perpetual reelection mode. 
They're yeah. constantly having to raise money from the, the morning after the victory uh, just to keep the seat and to keep that moving. And, and so that's a, another thing that's an interesting challenge, I think, that prevents a lot of good governing from happening. This is another reach for the fly ball that's in the future, but we're going through the census right now, and the redistricting of the state of Utah has always been interesting, and there now have been, you know, the independent, uh, you know, redistricting advisory, I guess is how you'd put it. Ultimately, the legislature will have the ultimate say, which is defined by the Utah State Constitution. But I, I'm very anxious to see how the state is divvied up. Remember the pizza thing, and then we have the donut hole, and all of these different things. Have, the the have redistricting we, has been very controversial in our state. Have we gained enough population to uh, win another congressional district in this state? We've not certainly yet, grown think. hugely over the past 10 years. Yeah. yeah, we're still not quite there, I think, in terms of uh, although the census that's uh, – also been interrupted by right. <laughs> the pandemic. Uh, yeah. That may slow down. That and it actually might. It actually might slow down the process in terms of when they reallocate uh, members of Congress. Yeah. Well, and in the last census too, we were all wrangled because uh, wasn't it uh, Kentucky? That uh, which state? Yeah, Kentucky, I believe, Kentucky. wasn't it? Mm-hmm. That got the seat that we actually really deserved and. Then there were all kinds of uh, combinations and talking about, well, let's give the District of Columbia their vote, and then we'll give an at-large voting seat to Utah. There are all kinds of machinations. But ultimately, we went without the district we deserved for 10 years. Yeah, that's right. And uh, remember, part of that was uh, how do you actually account for a missionary? That's right. (laughs) Missionaries and military. And military, yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, You've picked up on this already, but tonight's a little different than most years. (laughs) Uh, What are you you saying, Jeff? What are you saying? Show me the numbers. (laughs) Well, the numbers are still 20 minutes away. And by the way, thanks to KSL News Radio's Dan Bomas covering the fourth. Uh, My pleasure. 20 minutes till we get the results, and they won't be definitive. We talked earlier this evening with Utah County Clerk Amelia Powers Gardner. Here, listen. Why do the first results have to wait till 10 p.m.? Well, in April, the legislature had a special session, and they passed SB 3006, one of the provisions in that bill, and that bill just dealt with the primary election. It was for COVID-related things in the primary election, and it stipulated that we wait until 10 p.m. to release results for this election. So you're bound by law. Will there be any more announcements through the night, or is it 10 p.m. and everybody goes off to sleep? Well, here's the thing. There might be a couple of counties that do a second release around midnight. But when you're releasing results at 10 p.m., you really don't get a lot more counted before midnight. So the vast majority of the counties are going to call it at 10 o'clock, and then they'll just come back tomorrow and start counting again. If some of those counties don't do a release the next day, a lot of them will do a release the next day. Okay. The votes that are coming in now at this point today are quarantined. You have to figure out Uh, that one or two ballots could have a little smidge of coronavirus on them, so better safe than sorry, and we all understand that. What percentage of the votes being tallied come in at the very end and won't be counted tonight? You typically get about 20 to 25 percent of the votes that come in towards the very end, and in most counties those will not be counted tonight. They'll be counted tomorrow. Okay, when we do get a decision, or at least a good idea of the results for governor, And in Utah County, 4th District Congressional Primary, when do you think that'll be? Thursday, Friday, next week? So it's hard to 
say, because a lot of those are going to come out of Utah, Utah County, but the majority are going to come out of Salt Lake County. Here in Utah County, we're only quarantining ballots for 12 hours. Latest results coming out of the CDC say that coronavirus doesn't last on paper longer than eight hours. So we've made the decision to only quarantine for 12 hours. We'll have 90 plus percent of our votes counted by tomorrow's release. In other counties, they might not have that until Thursday. My gut tells me that we're not going to have a good read on the 4th Congressional District, maybe the 1st Congressional District, and for certain the governor's race until Thursday's release. Okay, so everybody cool your heels a little bit. That's the word from Utah County Clerk Amelia Powers Gardner. We will talk about this in just a moment with Boyd Matheson, Doug Wright.